It's Friday, December 17th, 2021, and from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is the Pennsylvania Legacies podcast. I'm Josh Rollerson. Well, it was clear pretty much from the beginning that the COVID-19 pandemic would fundamentally transform the way people relate to public space. And yes, it's been a bit of a mixed bag, but important to note, there have been some pretty positive consequences of that transformation. In particular, a mass scale rediscovery of the American outdoors, right when we needed it most. Everybody that's starting to see the outdoors really is a solution to a lot of challenges, right? It's a safe place to be. Uh, There's a huge climate solution in the outdoors. There's a health and wellness solution. There's a mental health solution. I think that's what COVID did. These last two years have marked a shift in public consciousness and behavior with real economic and political ramifications. We'll explore them on this episode of Pennsylvania Legacies that's coming up right after this news update from Lily Jones. On Tuesday, Governor Wolf announced $17 million in new funding to boost tourism in Pennsylvania as part of the 2021 American Rescue Plan Act. Nearly $7 million of that funding will go towards new diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives to help all visitors to Pennsylvania feel welcome through improved marketing and messaging. $250,000 will support DCNR's Outdoor Recreation Concierge Program, which trains frontline workers and volunteers to promote regional outdoor recreation experiences with a focus on lesser-known or underutilized sites. A coalition representing the Pennsylvania Wilds region is also in the running for American Rescue Plan funding. The Pennsylvania Wild Center for Entrepreneurship is one of 60 finalists announced on Monday for the $1 billion Build Back Better Regional Challenge. Their proposed project would support the region's emerging outdoor recreation industry. Each of these finalists will be awarded $500,000 to further develop their proposed economic development projects, even if they are not awarded project implementation funding in the second phase of the challenge. Last week, the Wolf Administration released the final draft of its proposed methane rule. The rule would aim to cut volatile organic compounds and methane emissions from existing oil and gas wells. The rule still exempts more than 60,000 low-producing wells, which account for a large portion of Pennsylvania's oil and gas-related methane emissions. The rule has been in the works for nearly six years, and is expected to take effect next year. The DEP made changes to the proposed rule after a public comment period that included over 30,000 comments. The National Audubon Society's 122nd annual Christmas bird count started this week and runs through January 5th. During the count, volunteers sign up to record every bird they see or hear on a specific day within an established 15-mile diameter. You can sign up to participate in a count near you on Audubon's website. Even before COVID, Politicians and policymakers in Washington were interested in the economic potential of trails and public lands. But the explosion in outdoor recreation activity that began during the pandemic has cemented a new political reality. The need for natural infrastructure is real, and the opportunity is vast. And as a result, during this period when our political system might otherwise appear all but broken, Congress has managed to quietly pass some of the most significant conservation legislation in a generation, sometimes by pretty hefty bipartisan margins. Most recently, billions in new funding for outdoor recreation and alternative transportation projects are on the table with last month's passage of the Federal Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, and more big federal spending bills are on the congressional agenda in the year ahead. 
Our guest today has been in the middle of it all, first as a Capitol Hill staffer and more recently with The Signal Group, a D.C. lobbying firm. Charles Cooper is managing director with Signal Advocacy and co-chair of Signal Outdoors, focusing on conservation and public lands policy. Charles, thanks for being here. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. A lot going on in D.C., obviously. I mean, I guess that's probably a a blanket true statement uh, a lot of the time, but specifically with regard to outdoor recreation, where your focus is. Can you give us sort of the overview, uh, the national outlook on outdoor recreation from from the vantage point of of Washington, D.C.? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's really interesting. In D.C., outdoor recreation and public lands and conservation have really jumped to be a top-tier issue just in the last handful of years. Uh, You know, when we see the Great American Outdoors Act, which passed last year, and before that, there was a big conservation bill called the John Dingell Act. Those two are sort of historic, probably the biggest pieces of legislation in this space to pass since the 1960s. And so people are sort of looking around and seeing, gosh, there's a lot of activity around outdoor recreation and public lands and conservation. How has this suddenly jumped to a top tier issue? And I think there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, One of which is, the outdoor industry is now viewed as a real economic driver. The U.S. government measures the outdoor industry, the economic impact of the industry every year now. And so people are starting to understand in D.C., wow, this is really driving jobs. Trails are driving jobs. Companies are driving jobs. And because of that, we're just seeing a huge uptick in in the interest in in legislating and funding this. And so this year, you know, uh, not long after this Great American Outdoors Act was signed into law. This year, we're seeing a pretty big footprint for outdoor recreation, public lands and and conservation, and climate especially, in this bipartisan infrastructure bill that was passed and signed into law by the president. And so that's really the focus now. How do we implement it? How do we make sure that states like Pennsylvania and others are getting enough money for trails and outdoor infrastructure, in some cases, natural climate solutions around infrastructure? And that's sort of what what the focus is at the moment. And when you talk about this this shift occurring, how much of that is attributable to the pandemic directly? Was this happening already? Yeah, the the shift towards thinking about the role that outdoor infrastructure or that outdoor recreation should play in the federal policy climate that was actually started well before the uh, pandemic. What the pandemic brought, I th- in just my own opinion, and I, I'd love to I'd love to talk about this because I'm sure that there's a lot of a lot of opinions there, but. I think people really have just rediscovered the American outdoors during COVID. And that's brought an enormous amount of users to trails and bike lanes and hiking and climbing and kayaking. Everybody that's starting to see the outdoors really is a solution to a lot of challenges, right? It's a safe place to be. Uh, There's a huge climate solution in the outdoors. There's a health and wellness solution. There's a mental health solution solution. I think that's what COVID did. It introduced the outdoors to a lot of people or or probably more likely reintroduced the outdoors to a lot of people. The interest in the outdoors, the appreciation for that as a policy driver was was prior to COVID. But obviously now, because of COVID, because of all these users, there's a real need to revisit it and, and understand, do we have the right infrastructure there? And if we don't, what do we need to be doing? Which is part of what we're seeing this past year. So uh, should we look at the infrastructure bill then? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, what's, what's in there for outdoor rec? So a really big winner in the infrastructure bill, frankly, are natural climate solutions. And this is, you know, really adjacent to outdoor recreation and conservation, but really thinking through 
what is what does natural infrastructure mean when we're trying to mitigate climate risk? So that's a, a big winner in there. There's a lot of trails money. There's a lot of bike lane money in part because they combine the infrastructure bill with a big transportation bill. So if you think of programs like transportation alternatives, which which funds a lot of bike biking and walking in, in Pennsylvania, or the recreational trails program, those pro- programs are big beneficiaries of this bill, big numbers of growth. And that's the largest fe- uh, federal investment really comes from those from those programs. And then in addition to that, I would say, you know, there's a number of pots of money money that outdoor infrastructure is going to be able to, to really play in uh, to access sort of better trails, more connectivity between trails and things like that. Are you seeing a shift in how people think about transportation and transit that now encompasses trails, you know, more than it did in the past? I think so. And, you know, COVID probably helps that. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of cities and communities reevaluated exactly how they frame uh, how people move and how people commute. And you're seeing that in a big boom in like electric bikes and frankly, just bikes in general and people getting out and walking. And so I think there's, there's no, no choice for communities than to look at the role that outdoor infrastructure plays. And I think if you look at some really targeted communities, places like Bentonville, Arkansas, where they've really invested there, it's helping drive the community. It's bringing people there. It's bringing new companies there. And I think if you're, if you're a, a local mayor, a local developer, or real estate people, you should be looking at outdoor infrastructure as a solution to help bring people back and get people to where they're going. Can you expand a little bit on the idea that there's some synergy between these outdoor recreation infrastructure investments and climate solutions or climate resiliency? What are these things to uh, come together in the legislation you cited at the top? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the there's a lot of focus on climate and there's a lot of money going into climate. And when people are looking at uh, a number of ways to invest, one thing they're doing is they're thinking, how can we invest in outdoor infrastructure that it will actually help over the long term? So if you think of the impact that greenways could have, and if you think about um, infrastructure that helps uh, coastlines, you know, these areas that are definitely need some mitigation from climate. Or if you think about, you know, uh, increased reforestation, which has a, has a, could have a good impact on, on outdoor infrastructure as well. All of these things are sort of climate solutions. And where we look at outdoor infrastructure is we should be viewing it more as a broad solution. You know, there's, there's people now using the outdoors instead of getting on medication. Um, there's people that are using the outdoors because they really want to contribute to, to conservation. There's people that are using the outdoors, as we just spoke about, to get from point A to point B. Like, it's not just about you know, a casual ride anymore. It's not just about a hobby. I think the outdoors is just becoming naturally part of our society, part of our regular uh, order of what we do, and also a solution to a lot of a lot of the challenges, both urban and rural alike, that we're facing. Yeah, well, and along with this sort of renaissance and this this mainstreaming and normalization of outdoor recreation as an important part of everyone's life, or that really should be, I mean, that has to come with some acknowledgement that that hasn't been the case for a lot of people. And as you know very well, since you know, I know Signal does a lot of work with diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, you guys have worked with PEC on on some of those issues. I'm wondering, like, how that dynamic, which is becoming so much more important in our sort of national discourse and, and our politics, how is that 
represented in the the discussion and the debate around uh, outdoor recreation, particularly the idea that we need to make outdoor spaces more inclusive, more welcoming, and access to those spaces more equitable? Yeah, it's really important. And I think we're starting to see a lot more policy and funding move towards that. And this has been a big year, been a big few years in boosting the Land and Water Conservation Fund, for example. And really part of that is putting money locally into making uh, outdoor spaces and green spaces more accessible to everybody. And I think from an outdoor sort of policy perspective, I'd say the probably the fastest growing issue of interest right now is how do we find, how do we make sure that there are quali- there's quality access uh, to outdoor infrastructure for everyone? And a big part of that is looking at where we're putting trails. And a big part of that is how we're making uh, infrastructure more accessible. And that's where, you know, connecting communities really helps and trying to think a little bit larger than just one small trail here and one small trail there. How do we, how do we make it so you could easily get from one community to your job and back and not necessarily have to rely on long commutes? You can jump on a bike and do it. Uh, and the same thing goes with just out, outside uh, access for, for everything else. Like where do you go to, to take a walk outside? Where do you go to get on a, to get a playground? Where do you go to, to be able to take a hike? And I think uh, people may be surprised that a large portion of our population does not have real access to that. And transportation is probably one of the largest barriers to it. I mean, looking at it, this, all this funding on the table now potentially, um, what do the parties, organizations, local governments, I guess, that might be going after this funding need to be thinking about in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion? Absolutely. Well, I think the the most important thing is if anybody is interested in additional funding through this act, and it's pretty diverse. I mean, if you look at the different po- pockets of funding, there's a lot of it. You know, they need to be getting on that really soon. I know PEC is helping to really organize that and and uh, research that. But but in terms of of looking at where the DEI money is, much of the outdoor recreation opportunity in ter- in terms of funding. Uh, really can be directed and in some cases prioritizes communities that are uh, traditionally underserved. And so if communities are thinking about how can we really boost funding, how can we make it the most effective, and how can we create quality experiences for everybody, I think looking at communities that are underserved and fitting in some of these trail network dollars, some of these uh, transportation dollars, really makes a really big difference. And, I, th- you know, I mean... I think we all believe that, you know, growing up and through our adulthood and throughout COVID, we've really appreciated the, the outdoors. You know, getting outdoors is just such a huge benefit for all of us and making sure everybody has that benefit and not only just the benefit of being outdoors, but being in the outdoors in quality spaces is really important. And your local parks and your local uh, trails are, is a huge start, but not everybody has that. Let's look at uh, challenges ahead further down the road. I mean, we talk about this huge historic upsurge in interest in outdoor activity. You know, that there, it can be a double-edged sword kind of thing sometimes. It comes with challenges. Um, what, are, what are we looking at in that area? So I look at sort of four big challenges, and one of them is what we just spoke about. How can we make the outdoors accessible to everybody? And that's one that I think a lot of people are focused on. The second is what we talked about a little bit before that, which is climate. You know, climate, the threat of climate change is enormous for outdoor recreation. You know, if, 
If there's beetle infestation in forests, it's going to be a lot tougher to mountain bike in forests. Um, if uh, if our waters are impacted, it's going to be tougher to to uh, kayak or canoe. If if there's not the snow that we have expected every year, it's going to be a lot tougher to ski. And we could go on and on. So thinking about from an outdoor recreation perspective, like this is an urgent matter that needs to be resolved, and that's certainly one of the challenge, one of the really big challenges. Another is funding. Um, the outdoors gets funded through a panoply of of different uh, revenue streams, and not all of those are sustainable. And so we really need to be thinking about what's the future of the outdoor funding regime. It's a lot, a lot of money, and uh, I think, frankly, it's an opportunity for all of us to be re- really innovative and thinking about maybe some non-traditional solutions on getting more funding to local parks and national parks and everything in between. And then the the last, I would say, is visitation and overcrowding. I think one thing we've seen in COVID, it's great everybody's getting outside, but we want to make sure that we are not pushing everybody to the same places. And that is actually a much more complex, in need of a much more complex solution than than maybe we have right now, so a lot of people are looking at that. From just a totally sort of ancillary uh, point in terms of one challenge that I would very broadly say for outdoor recreation and conservation um, from a public policy standpoint where we spend a lot of time, is really trying to get a little bit out of our comfort zone and start engaging with uh, communities that aren't our traditional audience. So thinking about, you know, people think about outdoor recreation in terms of public lands and conservation, but I think we should also be thinking about it in terms of transportation and health and wellness and uh, a whole litany of, of other environmental issues. We should really have our outdoor recreation sort of fingerprints on policies and funding that reach well beyond just funding for parks or thinking about it that way because people, people have really relied on this for, for huge lifestyle changes during, pan, during the pandemic. And I, I think would be at a huge loss if we didn't take those lessons, look at it and think, maybe we should be thinking about this in a different way. Just like today, people may be thinking about office space in a different way. We should be thinking about the role outdoor recreation plays beyond just, are we going to Yellowstone this year or not? And I, I think uh, hopefully we can get there. We started out, you were talking about the economic impacts of outdoor recreation. From a national standpoint, is is there any sort of movement toward uh, organization within the industry to advocate for these things that are so economically important. I know there are like there are trade organizations and sort of regional coalitions and that kind of thing, but are we getting closer to a point where the outdoor industry has a big voice in DC? Yeah, they we're at that point. The outdoor industry has really is really helping lead this conversation and they're bringing a lot of people to the table. And it's a unique industry and I I'm sure you're familiar with it, but these are, these are folks that obviously are, you know, manufacturing products or selling products that are important to the outdoor enthusiast. But, but they're also people that, that really believe in the need for conservation. They really believe in the need to solve climate change. They really believe in the need to fund infrastructure. And a lot of them are, are actually contributing to that cause significantly. But the outdoor industry is helping bring a lot of people to the table. And I, I think it's just a reality. Had it not been for the outdoor industry, you know, this huge bipartisan growth in interest in Congress, for example, wouldn't wouldn't be there because people have now been able to connect jobs back home and economic growth back home 
in a huge way to the outdoor industry. And because of that, they, you know, think about, okay, if this is this, I always looked at this maybe as an outdoor conservation bill, but if it's also a, a jobs bill, we should be on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at the list of things that the parties can agree on and the various, you know, constituencies they represent can agree on, it's a pretty short list, but it seems like outdoor recreation is pretty high on it. Can that be, you know, a leverage point, a mechanism for the kind of horse trading deal making that happens? What's the role of outdoor recreation in this sort of sausage making? Yeah. Well, I love the question because I've been a huge believer that the outdoors is literally bringing people together in Washington, D.C. And uh, REI always talks about being united outside. And I, I just love that because the reality is these are not partisan issues. They sometimes get caught up in partisan back and forth and just politics in general, but they're not partisan issues. And if you look at the course of just the last, you know, five or six years, we've passed historic bills and not by narrow margins. These are massive margins in the middle of COVID. When the, when the Congress was exclusively focused on COVID relief bills, understandably, one of the only exceptions to that was the Great American Outdoors Act to help fund outdoor recreation. I mean, think about that. That's a pretty big, pretty big moment. You have the President of the United States, you know, actively engaged on it. You have this, the new President of the United States actively engaged on it. It's a, it really is a top tier issue. And I always joke that if you are in Washington, D.C. trying to push for tax reform or Social Security reform or any of these other big-time issues, you're getting passed every day by the outdoor recreation folks that are coming up with innovative ideas, getting them in front of Congress, getting massive bipartisan support, and getting them signed into law. As somebody that works a lot in media and communications, right, why is it that that isn't a bigger story? Why don't we see more coverage of this kind of surprising level of uh, consensus on this issue. Yeah, I, you know, I think unfortunately, and I've spent the the last 20 years of my career in Washington, D.C., half of which was working as a staff member in Congress, and the other half is sort of on the government relations side. And, you know, I think part of it, just very candidly, that bipartisan stories aren't as exciting as partisan stories. And so I think there's a little bit of that. And I also think, you know, these are, these are big bills that have a lot of impact that I'm not sure have sort of a, a, a broad appeal yet among, um, among a lot of people. Like there's a cer certainly a strong understanding when people go to their, their park and there's great infrastructure. But these are, these are bills with, you know, hundreds of provisions in them and sometimes a little hard to wrap your, your ha hands around. But the impacts are real. People are seeing it. I'm not sure that everybody sort of appreciates the role that Congress and the federal government and state governments are, are making in that. But people are seeing it. I mean, we are visitation level show that people really care about the outdoors. And uh, I think it's a good thing. And given that, like, at what point does does it stop being just simply politically safe, but actually something you would campaign on? I think that's happening. And I think, uh, you know, a quick Google search of the Great American Outdoors Act, and I keep using that just because it's a recent example, every, every member of Congress was out there talking about it on the campaign trail. Um, you know, the, in the vice president's debate, it, it came up. The president tweeted about it tw two or three times prior to the election. Like, these are, this is now a, a top-tier issue. And I do think people campaign about it, especially when highlighting the impacts 
to it locally. And you see, you know, how much it matters to have real strong LWCF dollars coming into Pennsylvania and other communities and other states. You know, people are going to go home and really, really talk that up because it's huge. It's massive. It, it means a lot to the communities and it can do all the things that we're talking about, especially make some of this great outdoor infrastructure accessible to everyone. So uh, looking at the big picture, taking everything you just said and extrapolating forward, what's coming up? Uh, what's what's next on the horizon? So there's a, a few things. One, this Build Back Better Act does have some funding that we're watching as it relates to outdoor infrastructure. So that's important. But separately, you know, I think what we're going to see is some smaller, some smaller, more targeted, but really impactful bills. Uh, things like permit streamlining outside. So it's not so burdensome to have to get multiple permits for, for the same outdoor adventure. I think some uh, bills around helping get more people outdoors, uh, helping make sure that we have the infrastructure in place to do it, but in a little bit more of a targeted way and maybe packaging those together and getting them out. So smaller but really impactful bills instead of some of these huge sort of moonshot ideas that, that have been successful recently. And that's really, uh, I think we feel really good about it. We, you know, outdoor recreation is coming off a pretty good, a pretty good win here in the last few years. And I think as we head into an election year where things get a little bit tougher, um, this, is, this is a possibility of actually getting across the finish line where a lot of other things will be waiting until next year. All right. Well, maybe uh, we can check in again next year and see how it shook out. That'd be great. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us, Charles. Thank you. That's Charles Cooper of Signal Outdoors, our final guest in 2021 on the Pennsylvania Legacies podcast. We'll be back in the new year with uh, more conversations about conservation, outdoor recreation, climate, energy, watershed health, and a host of other related issues uh, connected with Peck's work across the state. We continue on into the new year, and we hope you will join us there. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council and Lily Jones, I'm Josh Rollerson saying happy holidays and thanks for listening. <laughs>